0: Hello friends. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the main idea podcast, where today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Pat Dively, a quick reminder for those of you that love this show, please take 30 seconds and leave a five star review on Apple or Spotify and subscribe to the YouTube. It helps so much with the show's growth. It helps it get discovered organically and helps me to continue to bring on amazing guests. There's also now timestamps in the show notes, so feel free to jump around to the part that interests you most, although I always recommend listening to the episode in its entirety. The other way that you can support this show is by sharing an episode with someone who loves jiu-jitsu. Pick your favorite episode, share it with a good friend, let them become part of the community, and hear from some of the greatest minds that jiu-jitsu has to offer. Pat Dively is a published author, speaker, wellness coach, and jiu-jitsu purple belt from Galway, Ireland. Although he is on a recording break, Pat also hosts the popular self-development podcast, The Pat Dively Podcast, where he hopes to help people develop confidence, clarity, and certainty. He currently has reached over 2 million downloads in 167 countries. I hope that you enjoy this podcast as much as I did. Without further ado, Pat Dively. And the Wi-Fi switched over, so... Well, Pat, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day from halfway across the world to be here. Uh, been looking forward to this conversation a lot, following, um, your content, some of your lifestyle stuff and, and just getting the chance to sit here and pick your brain. So I appreciate it, brother. Cool, man. Yeah. I'm really happy to, to get to connect
1: and I'm from a different world in some respects, I do a lot of, uh, inner work stuff, but you just use a big passion. So when I get to bring the two together, it feels good.
0: Well, the interesting thing is our, our lives are actually more parallel, I think, than I originally realized because my entire career uh, up until and still at this point has been personal training and, and athletics. And when I went back and kind of looked at um, elements of your past, I saw that there was this big story of personal training in there. And you see this common amongst a lot of people, right, is that you spend all this time investing in your physical health, but when you do that for so long, you start to look for outlets of where can I express this physical health that I've built, right? Instead of just going to the gym over and over and over again. And I think jujitsu for a lot of people is that expression, right? It's a place to go and take all the, the training that you're doing, the good food that you're eating, the rest that you're taking and go and kind of put it in a physical, uh, evolutionary prehistoric environment where you get to test that kind of things. What was that initial step into the world of jujitsu for you?
1: It was kind of a strange one in that uh, I was bullied quite a bit growing up and I found martial arts and I found weight training when I was a teenager. And so I started judo and a bit of jiu-jitsu. So this is 20 years ago. There wasn't a lot happening. Uh, But when I was 18, I went to the States out to San Diego with the ambition of becoming an MMA guy. And so I trained with Dominic Cruz and War Machine and a bunch of guys in San Diego. And when I came back from San Diego, I... I suppose I had to get a job and stuff like that. So I decided to <laughs> pursue fitness and, uh, you know, fitness was my passion. It was, it was, uh, it was a big part of my life in my early twenties and I ran a successful gym and I trained thousands of people online and I think being so close to it for so long, it lost a bit of its, uh, yeah. I, I lost a bit of the passion. So there was that piece. And then there's a guy, Chris Willis, I think he calls it the, uh, the manopause where we get to our late twenties <laughs> and we're sort of thinking, oh, I don't know if I care so much about the six, the six pack and the big arms anymore, but I right. want to be fit. So I, I actually stopped in the martial arts when I came back from America. And then 10 years later, I went, I went back. So that's kind of seven years ago that I went yep. back to jujitsu. So, um, yeah, it's a huge part of my life now and it just ticks so many boxes. I think in terms of community and as you say, physical expression, the the mental side of it,
0: and I don't want to get punched in the face anymore. I'm growing up now. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. That Muay Thai is such a beautiful art. And it, when you train it and you learn the, the timing, the kicks, and the footwork, and everything, it's really special. I think martial arts in general, anything that involves striking, it's a completely different animal. As you know from doing jiu-jitsu, right? it's this whole other element that's really important. But if you're not trying to be a professional... There is a major downside to getting repeatedly hit in the head. I mean, it is <laughs> like no matter how you cut it, it's that's not good for your longevity. So you do this math really quickly: of do I want to keep getting punched in the head for fun, or or not? And I think jujitsu provides this like it's another option where you get to explore that physical physicality, you get to push yourself that way, but jujitsu is much safer than striking. Mm. If you look at the big picture of it, you know.
1: Yeah, I had this shift. I, I think it's just phases of life, isn't it? Like you look back, I look back at my early 20s and I'm like, I can't yeah. step back into that mindset that I was in back then of like wanting to beat people up and all that kind of stuff. But now I'm 35 and I look to the guys that are in their 50s that I'm training alongside. I'm like, oh, that's that's what I'm aiming for. I want right. to be, you know, um, yeah, I just want to be in that kind of same level of health as they are 20 years from now. So that's kind of exciting.
0: I'm always really inspired by the people that I see that it, I think probably every academy has one or two people in like their 60s that are still showing up and they're still pushing themselves. And from the 21-year-old or something that gets involved in training martial arts, the mindset's very different, right? They are not in there to try to beat people up, but they are showing you this level of durability to the mind that's really impressive. To see someone show up when you know that their body hurts every morning because of age and you know that mentally they've seen and experienced so much more than we have in our life, and their wisdom spectrum is just vast. To see them show up and do it and still train and do what they can, it, it's really, really inspiring for me to witness that on a day-to-day basis.
1: Hmm. I always think we're mirrors to each other and that kind of mm-hmm. willingness to... Mm, I I think for for me, at least I've oftentimes had stories in my life that I'm too old to start X, Y, or Z, you know, I'm too old to do that. And I'm not experienced enough and to see someone reinvent themselves in their fifties or sixties or seventies or whatever age it might be. I think it's that, that we see in them that we're like, Oh, wow. I want, I want to be able to have the courage to change direction or to try something new or to be a beginner again. Um, it's amazing. Yeah.
0: What do you think it is about, um, our psyche that makes it so, such a task to unwind our childhood, unwind your adolescence, and unwind these things to to take the step to make a change in your life. I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with. You, You do see examples of people make those shifts in things like martial arts, but it's not confined to martial arts. There's many other avenues in which someone can experience that. But why is that so hard for us?
1: I think conditioning is just so strong. You know, they talk about the first seven years of our lives and how impactful those years are. That we're like a sponge that just take on these ideas. And we'll all have taken on different ideas about who we are in the world. So, you know, um, I'm a dancer, I'm a football player, I'm a singer, I'm a fill in the blank. And there'll be parts of ourselves in those early years that we kind of learn are not acceptable. Like this is a big passion of mine is doing men's work because for men, a lot of us learned early on, you're not supposed to show your emotions, you're not supposed to show your sadness, you're not supposed to be weak, all these kind of narratives. And effectively, those parts that we look to hide in our early years really limit us because we develop all these different ways of hiding. And I think one of the ways of hiding is to be competent. You know, If I'm competent at something, I can hide my vulnerability, I can hide my fragility. And so we just develop ways of being safe in the world, you know, and for some right. people being safe involves being the bully for other people being safe involves staying quiet for other people. Being safe is about controlling all aspects of our life. So I think it's that element of control and living within a box that makes it difficult. Like it's terrifying to be a beginner, <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. because you question everything, you can't fall back on your identity you know? and yeah. we, we all feel comfortable within our identity and then stepping out of that can be challenging
0: yeah i think that that's such a valuable um it's such a valuable endeavor to take on to be willing to be new at something at every stage in your life and i think i you know you look to the 6-year-old jiu-jitsu practitioner as a great example of that they're you know their ways are pretty set they don't they don't need to do this they don't have to do it uh they're choosing to do it and they're choosing to do it in a environment that's very difficult physically and mentally on them to pick up something new when your brain's older than it was before, right? You're not as uh, susceptible to adopt brand new principles. It's very impressive, but it's easy to do the things that you said, to take those emotions that we have, su- you know, suppress them, don't bring them to the table. I I was like growing up, I think my father was very much like that from his childhood, right? It was a, a post-World War II grandfather. A lot of those uh kind of principles that spill over into the family life the work structure the whole nucleus of how a family works and it produced a, a generation of children that i th- i think were very like just don't show too much of anything right just figure out a way make it happen get through it break through other side keep going and watching that growing up a lot you saw where it can be beneficial to be hard-headed, but you also saw some of the pitfalls, inability to connect with people, right? To have no emotion available to give someone in a moment where it's needed. And those are hard things to teach to a psyche that's been hardened by 25, 30 years of life. When you're working with people, what are some of the initial steps that you take to try to get them to like peel back the layers of that onion? Mm. There's sort
1: of two sides. Well, maybe three sides to it. One side is the mental aspect. So like the mental is the stories that we tell ourselves. So it's recognizing that we're all living within a narrative. So I talked about being bullied when I was young. And so for 30 years, I carried a story that I don't fit in. Uh, that I'm the an outsider. And of course, when you have a story about yourself, you will go out into the world and you'll just back that up. You'll find all the places you don't fit in. You'll find all the places you're an outsider and you won't see the opposite. It's like we put the, the goggles on and we just see what we want to see for good or for bad. So that's the mental side, kind of helping people deconstruct. Like what are the stories I tell myself about myself and can I challenge them? So that's one piece. Another piece is the emotional piece. So beyond the stories, there's our emotional experience there's our fears our insecurities there's our reactions so it's kind of exploring that and um, that's a lot about things like breath work which i'm sure we'll we'll touch on today yeah absolutely not, not so much the functional breath work but more the the deep breath work that brings you into your body and helps you to figure out what's really going on and then the third piece is the relational aspect so you know a lot of us as I say, if, if, if as a boy I, le- I learn that it's not safe to express a certain part of myself, I'll hide that because it's terrifying. And so to bring that back out of the darkness and back into the light, it's important that I have people that are going to, um, you know, accept that part of me. Um, and these things happen. You know, it's interesting, like when I step into the jiu-jitsu world or with jujitsu friends, I don't think they have as much of an understanding as why people would need to do inner work because it just happens uh, with as a byproduct. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you go and train, you go do some tournaments with your friends, you develop that capacity and you've got people cheering for you. You've got people that see you and your strengths. You've got people that see your weaknesses and you're accepted in that space. And for me, that's how healing happens. You know, there's different ways of healing. But those are really the three pillars, addressing what's going on in the mind, allowing a space to express the emotions that haven't been expressed maybe in decades. I mean, I, I have men come to workshops that haven't cried in 40 years. And uh, it it takes the weight of the world off their shoulders when they have a cry. Um, You know, one man recently was saying that he expressed a lot of anger in a workshop, like, you know, really let it out. And he said he'd been carrying that for 40 years, that his dad had passed when he was a kid, and he had to become the man of the house. And he resented the fact that he had to grow up so quick. And he hadn't realized that until we dropped into deep breath work. Um, And then the community aspect, as I say, like having people around you that see you, for who you
0: really are is really important i think right how now with these ideas of um let's call it developing like emotional capacity so if you're taking someone uh this man for example who's had this event with his father when he was a kid he didn't process it in maybe the best way suppresses it and for 40 years it kind of eats away at him on some level i think there's some argument that the suppression of that emotion is actually what then allowed that person to push forward mm. so how do you navigate this balance between wanting to become more let's call it emotional or or be capable of this range while at the same time not letting that spill into affect your your drive your ability to perform your ability to kind of drop gears and put your foot on the gas right mm. how do you juggle those different balls of of being a human you shared the word
1: there that i think is most important and the word is range so having the capacity yeah. to develop our range um if you look back a couple of decades uh to the kind of traditional masculine figure and what that was there was a certain type of man you know he's he, he goes to work and he puts food on the table and uh maybe sits down and has a beer you know that those the, the guys we see on the cartoons that almost make fun yeah. of the dad and the family And then there was a rebellion against this and guys that almost became like the spiritual new age guys that were very in their feelings and very go with the flow. And I think the next evolution is for us to be able to develop different parts. Um, One of the pieces that I focus on a lot is this map of the male psyche of king, warrior, magician and lover. Uh, It's the idea of recognizing that as men, we all have these four characters within us. The king in your psyche is the part of you that has a sense of leadership, so a sense of where you're going. So maybe your king is the part of you that says i want to develop this podcast i want to develop a business i want to have a whatever else we want to have so that's your king that's your leadership um, we don't see a lot of that in the world we see a lot of people following other people a lot of people looking around them for someone to come and save them so the king has gone a little bit offline in the collective then you've got your warrior so we might say our warrior is the action taker the part of us that takes consistent action this discipline think of like david goggins kind of character right. now you've got your lover which is the part of you that allows space to feel and then you've got your magician, which is the thinking part. So thinking, feeling, doing, and being. The The reason I say that is I, I think it's about consciously recognizing you have different parts and then having different practices for tuning into those different parts. Um, it's not appropriate to live in the emotional realm maybe when you're in the corporate space so maybe you have sure. to be in your warrior there and you have to get things done and you have to be switched on but one of the challenges of course is when we're in the corporate world and we're working hard and we're doing 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 if i come home and i'm not able to switch gears and step into my lover and be more in my feelings i'm probably not going to be a very present father i'm not going to be a very right. present partner Um so it's, it's recognizing the different parts and then just having different tools to lean on i think
0: yeah, it's a, it's a complex uh, meal, right, it, to to be able to experience those, and in their full capacity too, to not just think that way, but actually embody some of those and then implement them into your life. And it's a work in progress, right? I mean, like anything, you know, jujitsu, I'll, I'll use that as an example, but because it's so readily available, but you look at the range of a highly skilled person, and it is much more fluid than that of someone who's just getting going and mm-hmm. it's not to say that the person that's new is an athletic or they're not strong or they're not capable it's that they haven't figured out how to interact with that flow yet because the highly skilled person can be strong when they need to be they can be fluid when they need to be they can be technical when they need to be and they can back off when they need to be and i think that that's something that we all aim to like strive for as as we can continue down that path. And it's not just true for jujitsu again, it's true for many things. When when you reflect on kind of the, these principles that you now operate with and this experience of being bullied, right? Like the very first thing that you, you bring up is this experience of being pushed around and bullied when you are a kid. So obviously it, it's in that time, that graph where there's all the different splintered versions of how your life could go this moment is a very important one right that changes the path of how things go for you mm. what what was that like to have that experience with other people that were supposed to be your peers like what did that really feel like on the inside and when if ever did you truly start to hack at that
1: mm. that was a overwhelming you know, we think about when we experience stressful experiences, there's this fight or flight that people talk about, you know, fight or flight to get this energy to run away or to fight back. But for me, that was a freeze experience. That was like almost that younger part to me got frozen in time and didn't know how to fight or didn't know how to run. And so I would say overwhelming and, and, and scary. And, you know, to take it away from my story um, if anyone thinks about something challenging they'll have experienced early on, you might think about that part being frozen. And then we unconsciously develop characters to say, I'm going to protect that younger part. Mm-hmm. So one of the characters for me was the overachiever. So I recognized that, well, the guys in the class that don't get bullied seem to achieve a lot. So maybe if I achieve a lot, then I'll uh, be safe. Uh, and that can work up to a certain point. It's kind of to use your analogy of the Jiu Jitsu guys. If I start Jiu Jitsu and I'm athletic, I can use my athleticism and it's going to work well for me up to a certain point. For a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, and when it comes time to like slow it down and start to work a bit of technique, you might feel like you're taking a step back, but of course in the long term, it's developing and probably similar with this kind of stuff. It's like my incessant want to achieve and my drive and all this kind of stuff is going to serve me up to a point, but we see it, you know, across the board, people get burnt out, people get, um, a, a little bit lost. Um, and so, Uh, For me, yeah, an overwhelming and isolating experience. It ran my life for, on some level, for decades. It still does to a certain degree. I think those parts don't go away. We just have to kind of keep tabs on them. There's still parts of me that step into a room and feel like I'm the only, um, I'm an outsider. I don't fit in. But I've learned to kind of work with that part of myself and just ease myself, I suppose. Give myself what I didn't get at the time.
0: Yeah. I heard in one of your, you did a Ted talk. I think it was eight years ago. So I want to say it was, or maybe around 2013 ish. Uh,
1: it's 2016.
0: I think. Yeah. Just, sorry. That. It's 2016. So um, I'm curious about this because I want to see if it holds, because I thought it, it was an interesting thing to come out and say is that you had this deep desire to be somebody, it was something mm-hmm. that you just identified with. They're like, I just, I didn't know what it was, but I wanted to be somebody. And I dude, I totally get that. Like it's this weird... So a, a lot of times, I think in my life, I wish that the phrase was, I want to help somebody. But if I'm just being transparent, the desire had always been to be something in, in its own entity, whether it was trying to be a professional skier, trying to be you know, the best at whatever, it was the thing that I was choosing to do. And I wondered, do you feel like that was the product of something? Has that desire changed at all as you have aged and you know accumulated more life wisdom maybe we can unpack that phrase a lot because i think it's something that people share Mm. i was gonna say i cringe a little bit looking
1: back on 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 (laughs) seeing things like that but it was definitely true my 20s were completely driven by insecurity and mm, trying to escape myself if I, if I achieve yeah. the next thing, then I'll be enough and then I'd get that thing and then, okay, and now I need the house and I get the house and there was always yeah. this kind of gaping hole. And I think what that points to is if I have, a, if I have a sense of inadequacy and we take it to the j- 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 jitsu mats and I take up jujitsu to help me find confidence, but I never kind of address the inadequacy. I could win world titles and still feel like I'm not enough, if you will. Um, yeah. so I think it's important to, um, yeah acknowledge the 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 challenges you've had and uh work toward new things so i want to be somebody yeah that was definitely a thing in my 20s um now it's i want to be myself i think i think that's more more true i want to be authentic um i was relatively authentic all my life but uh <laughs> but, definitely, but definitely but definitely i was putting on a show at times you know a couple of years ago trying to impress and trying to and I have to catch that, you know, because it's addictive to, to be validated for, oh, wow, you're doing so well. Oh, you're so successful. Oh Well, wow, it's great to see all these things happening. Um, but if you don't feel it's, I think how you feel is more important than how your life looks. And that's where we're kind of getting pulled apart. I was looking at this social media talk a while back mm. and it was kind of scary what they were saying. They were saying that they, they did this research study with uh, teenagers and they said you've got two options. You can either have a trip to the, uh, I think it was the Caribbean worth $5,000, all expenses paid and you get to go and enjoy the holiday, but you can't take photos of the holiday <laughs> or you can take photos, but you don't get to go on the holiday, but you can make it look like you went on the holiday and they all picked, yeah. you know, I want my life to look good as opposed to, oh, I want to have the experience. So the, the biggest shift for me is I want to be, I want to be, feel confident. I want to feel happy. I want to feel secure. I want to live a life that's true for myself. And if that involves being somebody that would be cool,
0: but it's, it's right. not a priority. How do you know that you're on track for that? What's a, an indicator that we are actually living our life and not just saying we are? Because I feel like with social media, especially, mm. there's this whole part of it that is authenticity and transparency and vulnerability. But in many of the people that you see doing that, it's starkly clear that they are inauthentic, not vulnerable, and putting up a facade to pretend like that's all there. So how do you, and it doesn't have to be um, within social media, but just thinking about that, like how do you know that you're on, on track, that you're really living that version of yourself that's, that's the you version, not the perceived version, not the making up for the being bullied when you're younger version or all these things. Like what does that compass look like internally? You ask good questions. <laughs> um, wh- wh- I told wh- you I was looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> it's not. not, not... <laughs> One piece
1: that, mm, so maybe one, one piece to say, a friend shared with me a couple of years ago and I thought it was useful. I was talking about work-life balance or trying to be balanced in life. And he said to me, there's no balance. He said, we're always balancing. So it's a little bit like riding a bicycle. You're mm. always kind of reorientating yourself. And I found that quite quite comforting and I think that applies for this fulfillment piece or authenticity piece as well that will often drift at least I often drift I make silly decisions that don't support who I really want to be in terms of knowing who you want to be a really important piece I think is knowing your values Um, and I have a friend who was a he was a functional heroin addict for 12 years and he Quit heroin and within six years got a phd in neuroscience he completely turned his life around and i asked him i asked him a kind of dumb or obvious question i said what was you know what stopped you from going back to using and he said i shifted from making decisions based on my feelings to making decisions based on my values and i decided my values were and he he named his values and so your values are, are are the compass that you talked about so we'll all have different values for me, things like compassion, curiosity, playfulness, those are values that are important to me, so I use them like my compass. And they can inform me, you know, if, I, if a client rings me and says, hey, do you want to come and do this, this seminar or this talk? I know that if, if if they don't support those values, if I can't demonstrate those Smart values, man. it's probably not a good call for me. I also know when I'm feeling a little bit off that I can look at my list, my little list of values, and I can say, well, am I being playful in my life? Is there playfulness still in my life? Is there compassion? Is there curiosity? Uh, if I'm fighting with someone in my life that I care about, maybe I've lost the compassion, I've lost the, the curiosity, and everyone's values will be different. Um, another example, maybe you know, you talk to people who have nostalgia, nostalgia for the past. They say, "I wish I was back." You know, my mm-hmm. teens, traveling, and and I'll ask, "What was it? What was it about that time that was you know so magical?" And they'll say, "You know, I was just surrounded by people, and there was a real sense of adventure." So those pointed to values, it wasn't necessarily the fact you were traveling. I mean, that was part of it, but it was the fact that every right. day was new. There was great people around. And so I'd be encouraging people then, how do I bring that back into my life on a day-to-day basis? could be something as simple as going to a new coffee shop or trying out a new class. Um, right. But that's a piece. And then on the flip side of that, you can figure out what your shadow values are. So the shadow is the part that will trip us up. So mm-hmm. you flip those values on their head. So playfulness, my, my, my value of playfulness, the shadow of that will be being... Um, Take myself too seriously. And I have to watch that because that can easily happen. Uh, Compassion, the the opposite of that is judgment. So I can often fall into judgment of myself or others. So for me, that's the compass. And, you know, if you're a little bit lost in life and you write down those values and every day you commit to doing one thing that builds them, it's almost like a bank account. I'm putting little deposits in every day and six months from now, I'm a different person who I was. I'm investing in me and I'm saying this is who I am and I'm going to act in accordance to that. And the more I act in it, it becomes like a, you know a positive feedback loop yeah. right that would be my my starting point yeah.
0: yeah it seems like those they're really good checks for being present because i feel like a lot of um i you call them shadows i really like that because it's, it's kind of the yin to the yang of of whatever the value system is like uh compassion a great one right um resentment could be a shadow for that so if you find yourself resenting things that's not a present emotion. That's because you're thinking about how someone's going to be or you're thinking about how they were, right? So if you and I are in an action and, and we are friends and you do something that I start to resent you for, maybe it's your success, maybe you, you start to achieve something that I want. Now I'm thinking about how you're going to continue doing that, so that's not now, or I'm thinking about how you surpassed me, right? And. Those, it's really easy to fall out of the present. I mean, we both know this from having even a minor interest in meditation, right? The whole idea is to try to get back to the now. And these, so much of our time is spent, especially with social media. Social media is in a phone. It is an app that gives you your shadow constantly, right? It's only showing you stuff that has already been made or what people are going to go do none of it by design is what's happening right now it's insane and it's it's almost like a little machine in your pocket that can just make sure that you're not making that kind of progress for yourself
1: yeah and you you know like i think the other piece um it's interesting right I'm sure every generation thinks that like our generation's a bit screwed, you know right. and, and, but I'm sure like I think they you look back a couple of decades and there was people panicking because there's going to be TVs now and we're going to be addicted to t v yeah. so there's probably, but but it does feel like things are kind of crazy at the moment, so another piece that I think is important, I got really into mountaineering in my twenties, and, and that was um, at a time where I was losing myself a little bit and I'd go to the mountains for two weeks or three weeks and climb mountains without a phone. And right. I always came back with such clarity and I recognize not everyone's going to be in a position to be able to go off the grid for three weeks. Totally. But what I say to people is the, the, the more space you allow yourself to be quiet with yourself, it's like the whisper in you gets a little bit louder to the point that you can't ignore it. That's why it's right. difficult for people because sometimes we're not living true to what we want maybe we're in a relationship that's not working or in a job that doesn't fulfill us and maybe that's why we stay distracted because you know when i put the phone down and i listen to something inside of me it's saying hmm, things are not working so you know i think it's a courageous and brave choice to lean into that um and as i say not everyone's going to go for three weeks but can you go for a 30 minute walk in the morning on your own without technology right. or can you commit to maybe turning off the radio when you're in the car and just just put little pockets in your life of listening more to yourself rather than listening to, you know, if you imagine deep inside of you, there's a whisper that's been muted by all of this noise that's been put into your system. And if you free up a little bit of that noise, turn off the phone for an hour, turn off your, you know, inputs. And I, I'm talking to myself on this, too, because yeah, to it definitely falls into And that whisper will get louder and louder and louder. And at some point, it's
0: going to be so loud you can't ignore it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's great. Cr- the the phone thing is really interesting because uh, I'm sure you've seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix. I cried. I cried. Right. So you, you watch this movie. It's overwhelmingly convincing that this stuff's bad for us, right? Yet we're intertwined with it to such a degree. I mean, from how I communicate with my grandmother to how I market my businesses, all these things that we all share as being humans in the 21st century. And, and it is profound how effective the difference is between having your phone and not. If you just, did, I'll give a perfect example. Uh, two weeks ago, I just, and and I hate to admit how difficult this was for me to actually do, because I think in principle, I'd like to think this is a very easy thing. I just, I eliminated social media for one week. You hear people do this all the time. It seems almost cliche. The difference in my day-to-day traffic in my head, and then also just my general distaste for, like I wasn't concerned with what other people were doing in their life or what vacation that they were on that I wasn't or what thing that they were doing that I wasn't, how hard they were working, when I'm relaxing, whatever stories you create around that. And this one week, I was like, wow. And, And then what happened was I onboarded more bandwidth into my brain of what I could focus on. So I made, you know, more progress in other areas of the business that I was neglecting because I had finally given myself the freedom to explore it because it, the the phone just consumes me. And when you see how much it has an impact, it's still hard to distance yourself from. It. It's so addicting on a neurological level and it gives you so much so quickly that you that it's hard to, you know, you got to go on a walk for 30 minutes to appreciate it. You you get on your phone for thirty minutes, you've been hit with dopamine a trillion times, and you're in a completely different world. So that disconnect is it's challenging. Is that something that you focus on uh, when you're helping people to like? How do you paint that picture for them to create respect around their exposure to to technology, social media, these kind of things that pull you out of that present?
1: One thing I I share would um, be t- two things. One is, you know, you think about children growing up. They have needs. So mm-hmm. a child needs uh, safety. They need security. They need food on the table. They have certain things they need, and then they have wants. So maybe they want a PlayStation. They want to go to see the UFC. So there's wants and there's needs. And if the parent is not present emotionally, maybe they'll fulfill fulfill upon the wants, but they won't fulfill upon the needs. So they'll buy the PlayStation. Wow. They'll bring, but they're not giving them what they truly need. And then if we fast forward to our own lives, I almost think of it that we're our own parents as we get older, or we can be at Mm -hmm. least. And if we overlook our fundamental human needs, we will fall into all these addictive patterns. So we all have a need for connection. We need need Mm -hmm. to connect with people who see us and care about us. And they'll say that, you know, we've mistaken maybe the social media connection with real connection and it's a different thing. People have mistaken right. porn with intimacy and it's a different thing because these, these ways feel safer because I don't have to be vulnerable or I don't have to be intimate. You know, I can, yeah. I can just, I don't have to risk rejection. So one of the ways I would encourage people that maybe consider, and again, all this stuff, definitely not preaching. I'm always just reminding myself, but it's to address what are your fundamental needs and are you meeting those needs? So again, we come back to that idea that if I'm training jujitsu, I'm getting physical exercise, I'm being challenged mentally, I'm connecting with like-minded people, I'm getting to be in the present. So that ticks a lot of boxes. So sometimes I think if you put more stuff in your life that works well for you, the other stuff will start to get slowly pushed out. That's one way of thinking. They they used to say that in the fitness industry, right? Instead of thinking about removing chocolate, think about putting in more vegetables and you probably won't have space. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then just the one other piece is to... I studied with a guy called Gabor Mate for a year, who's an addiction specialist. He's an amazing man. And he always talks about, you know, our addictions uh, really are a method to um, they always provide something so we can beat ourselves up about our addictions, but they always give us something. So what does my phone addiction give me? It gives me entertainment. It gives me distraction. It keeps me from being bored. It gives me a false sense of connection. So if I can really look at what it's giving me, I can then start thinking about, is there alternative means of of meeting these needs in a healthy way? Like one example in my 20s, I drank all the time. I was a fitness guy, but I would go out go out every weekend and go wild and I felt out of integrity. But what it was giving me was it was quieting my mind because I, I had a very overactive mind. Uh, it was giving me a place where I wasn't the boss and I could just be a, a, a mad man, you know, because I was running this business in my 20s. Um, And funnily, jujitsu kind of came in and it replaced those two things. I I removed the alcohol and jujitsu also quieted my mind. And it gave me a place where I wasn't the boss and I could be social. That was the other piece with alcohol. It was the place where I was social. So if you look at things you're doing that don't feel good or aren't supporting you, ask what are they giving you? And then, you know, is there a way I can meet these needs in a healthier way? The, The
0: drinking thing is an interesting... Hiccup, so I speak from the place of growing up with a father who suffered from alcoholism for a long time. Is, has now been sober for over a decade, but growing up and seeing this with my own eyes every day, and then dealing with the what comes along with that, which is horrible mm-hmm. when you're a, a teenager to have to, you know, you you touched on this earlier, but embody characteristics of. uh leadership figure in a household when it's not your time to do that kind of thing. You know, like there's a laundry list of items that come along with this. And one of the, I think, most profound effects on me and confusing ones as I got older was that it put me at a distance from alcoholism because I was so privy to it, having grown up with it, that I never wanted that to become me. But what I didn't address in that digestion of information was that just because I wasn't an alcoholic the way he was, doesn't mean that I wasn't exhibiting alcoholic uh, tendencies. So the way that I began to interact with alcohol through college, even post-college, was from an outsider looking at very unhealthy, right? And, and, And I lived the same life, right? Personal trainer, I'm a representative of health and fitness. Yet on the weekends, I mean, look in the training industry, it's so you're going to find some of the most addicted people in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people that can party harder and show up to work earlier than anyone else, it's the craziest thing, and it's just a cycle that you get into. And then part of your identity can latch onto who you are when you're that way, right? So you're You're managing alcohol consumption through the week. So you feel good about it. You feel like you don't have a problem every weekend you're binge drinking and you're becoming this person that other people like and enjoy, but that's actually not who you really are. It's a version of who you become when you're intoxicated. And it, it actually admittedly took me a long time to realize that those were two different things happening. And then only with, you know, conversations between my dad and I now, and, and talking about it and thinking about it, realizing how close to that brink I actually was just in a completely different way than I had seen it. And so it becomes really important to do. I, I actually really like the way that you said that when you're looking for what you're getting and use that to help understand what you're missing and where you could get it from other places. So these Friday, Saturday, Sunday could have been filled and and now are with different types of relationships and interactions that maybe weren't present or interesting to me then. And in, in today's time, it's a much more healthy version of that, but it's so easy to get sucked into that cycle and to feel justified by it. Right. Because when you're, and I, and I'm not a sober person, right. I still will enjoy alcohol from time to time, but that, that cycle just feeds itself because you're also surrounded by people that are doing the same thing. How do you help people break cycles when their social circle isn't by nature supportive of the change that they want to make deep down?
1: Yeah, it's challenging. I was talking to someone about this yesterday and I was saying that, uh, I don't know how it is your side of the world. I presume it's been a fairly global thing in the developed world that during the pandemic, a lot of people went into therapy and coaching and self-exploration and all these things. And all that is really powerful, of course, and really, I think, worthwhile. The piece that hasn't happened yet, I think, is is um, uh, you, you mentioned your father there. I don't know if he went to AA or or um, how
0: he was supported, but it wasn't it wasn't the best fit for him. Mm. I think he had more of a rejection to it. Mm. But I've seen people find a lot of success mm. with that same endeavor. I, I don't know. It seems person to person. Your thoughts yeah i think there's
1: something in the group work you know you mentioned so so if i want to create any change it's terrifying because it, it, it you know if we think about it this way it's very easy for me to give you advice because my life doesn't change if i give right. you advice and i say oh leave the relationship or you know quit the job it's easy for me i can see because i'm not emotionally invested but for you yep. as the person that has to make the change your world as you know it is going to collapse around you you're you're totally you know, and vice versa. So I think a support network is really important in that and, and that's where the community, and again, keep <laughs> going back to jiu-jitsu, um, if I was to replace the pub with jiu-jitsu, it might take a bit of time to find, find comfort in my new space, but I, I now have a circle of uh, community. I think the reality is you do need to I don't know if leave people behind is the right way of putting it, but I think we outgrow our environment sometimes. Um, sometimes we don't allow ourselves to do that because it feels like we're wrong for, for, for walking away. But maybe it's a boundaries piece. You know, just, it, I think for me with alcohol, I, I still have a drink here and there, but there came a point where I asked myself, why do I drink a lot when I go out? And my answer was because I don't feel comfortable in those environments. And then yeah. it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, why would you put yourself in an environment where you're not comfortable? It doesn't make any sense. So you're going to put yourself in that environment and then make yourself stupidly drunk so you feel comfortable. I was like, what if you right. took yourself out of the environment? But it can be isolating because, you right. know, certainly in Ireland, that was how we <laughs> socialized.
0: Oh, I mean, so. it's a whole culture there, right? Mm. It's, uh, and a perception from the outside of what the culture is like. Maybe there aren't truths to that all the way through, but that's got to be even challenging, more challenging when part of the ethos of... The country itself is alcoholic consumption so someone said alcohol is the only drug that you
1: if you don't take it you're people think you've a problem you know everything right. else is different <laughs> but um but yeah it is and i mean look that goes back to again generations of uh, as we talk about, just go back a couple of generations and the men were at war and they would have seen horrible things and then they would have come home and had no support and want to kind right. of brush that under the, the rug and alcohol would have helped numb some of that pain. So, yeah, cycles of... Um, and again, look, it's got its place. Some people are really good with alcohol and th- th- it works well for them. But, it, yeah, in terms of supporting people with change. Um, yeah, I, uh, it's difficult. I, I like to do a lot of group work because... Mm-hmm rather than doing one-to-one where the person comes to me for an hour and then steps back into their environment like last night we did a men's group for two hours so we came together in a group of 13 men and we shared and we did some breath work and we did some physical movement stuff and they'll go for a coffee together in the next couple of days and that'll happen on a weekly basis and i think that's that's an important aspect is stepping into a new, new environment
0: you get you hit on uh a point that is is pressing in my life, but something I'd I'd love to explore a little bit more, which is this idea of giving advice. And I think what you you said hits very hard because when you give advice to people, especially people you love or you care about, I guess the easiest example is um your friends in a relationship, male or female, and the other person you know is not good for them, it's very clear, it's very obvious everyone sees it this way but they're obviously caught in the spider web of of emotion and lust and all this kind of stuff and so they don't see it like that it's very easy and i think in my 20s uh, you see this done a lot you give such convincing advice oh you're such an idiot how can you not see this They're treating you like shit. blah blah and you just draw out a whole spreadsheet of all the things that this person is doing that's destructive to their life and you tell them at the end you gotta leave Right, You have to leave this person. And what you're doing is exactly what you said. You are giving this action to them that, at the end of the day, has no impact on your life other than you get your friend back. Right? It has a, a net positive to your social experience. But to them, it is a world shatterer. It is months or if not years of emotional investment, vulnerability transparency with this person, meeting family, extended loved ones. There's all this stuff that's happened that's led to this point where things aren't working super well. Hmm. And so it's very easy to give advice. And I think the misconception is that when these things start happening in our life at any stage, we want to do that. We want to be a good friend and good friends give good advice, right? Hmm. But because of this asymmetrical exchange of what's actually happening, Advice, in many cases, is the worst thing that you can give in place of listening, which is kind of the one opportunity that person has to offload a bunch of stuff that's not well with them, and then you can kind of guide them. How do you navigate these kind of situations with people that you love? Mm. And what is the right way to, to treat people when they're going through something in a constructive way that is more of a net positive for them than for you. It's a great question. Uh
1: I learned this the hard way. Um a couple of years ago I was dating a girl and she shared something quite vulnerable with me. It was like the first time she had kind of opened up. Hmm. And I jumped straight into solutions mode. Maybe you could do this, maybe you should do this, maybe you should do this. And she shut down and she was really hurt by my reaction. And upon closer reflection what i recognized in myself was i um i found my value and i think again it can be common as a man to think i need to do something i need to be a problem solver i need to fix the situation and that can be the default setting um i suppose what i've since learned is is what you're saying there it's it's about providing space for people they often talk here in the mental health spaces about you know it's it's good to talk it's important to talk um What's not spoken about as much, which is challenging, is it's, it's important that people can, can listen, as you say. There's a couple of things I think are useful. Um, I was on a course uh, maybe a month ago with a, an amazing therapist doing some training. And for one hour, he had a sit with a partner. And the partner would describe a challenging experience they were having. And you couldn't offer any advice for an hour. You just asked <laughs> questions. And there was magic words in it. And the magic words were, can you tell me more about that? And it was amazing because it really, you know, I was sharing with the lads last night in the circle that there's some word for in businesses, the cost to the business of not actually knowing what problem they're trying to solve. So they jump to conclusions and they say, there's something wrong with our marketing. And so they spend all this money rather than taking some time to figure out what's the actual problem. And I think when we offer offer advice, sometimes it's the same. We haven't actually figured out what's wrong for the person. We've gone through our own experience. So for one hour, we did it you said you're sad because you're kind of feeling disconnected from your partner tell me more about that and then they go into that and then not to sound robotic with it but that's one piece that's really useful is is just get really curious uh, really try to drop out of the idea that you have any idea what the other person is going through and just come at it with real curiosity another piece is to reflect back what you hear so mm-hmm. i would say what i hear what i hear you say is is that that's so, so this is another piece reflecting back so sometimes what we hear is different to what's actually been said so it's important to kind of clarify um you know so what i hear you say is an empathy is is trying to step into their shoes and say i, I could see how that would be really challenging like I, i'm not i'm not in a relationship but if i work with someone who's gone through divorce that's not something i've experienced but i'm going to try to step in their shoes and i'm like i can imagine how challenging that is for you um mm-hmm. so those kind of things uh, i think are, are are some useful um uh, pieces and y- you mentioned um there you know maybe a friend is going through a really toxic relationship and everyone can see it but them. in that scenario i would i i often I, i'll always ask for permission so rather than launching into something when they're not ready i'd ask would you be open to me sharing something with you or could i share something that i see or could i reflect back something that i've noticed in recent months and then i might say you know i've noticed in recent months that three or four times now you've mentioned how things are pretty rocky and stressful with your partner. It seems like it's happening a lot. Does that feel true? So I'm reflecting back. I'm not I'm not giving advice. I'm not giving my own interpretation. Right. I'm just trying to be a mirror
0: for them. So a couple of ideas in there. Yeah the when we were doing um we did a like a health coaching seminar basically it was all about habit change. It was similar uh or it was around the time that I think I think his name's Adam Clear wrote Atomic Habits, with James Clear, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, James Clear. Um, And so we did a a workshop when I was at this gym, and one of the big things is, because you see this a lot with new trainers, is they'll try to tell you how to live your life healthier, because they know, right? They're so skilled. They want to tell you, oh, you can't eat that. That's just gonna make you fat. You gotta eat this. Oh, that's not the right workout. You gotta do it like this. So the whole premise of this workshop was uh, a lot of what you just said. So it's listening it's reflection. So summarizing back to them to see if you missed anything, because that helps build rapport because now they tell that you're listening actively, not just passively. Mm -hmm. And then to create ambivalence, which I thought was a really interesting tactic where you present back to people the options that they've given you instead of you giving them the options that you think are best for them. Mm -hmm. And so when they hear that, it's kind of a shock because you know you go you know i'm hearing on one hand you you really love this person but i'm hearing on the other hand that they cheated on you can you explore that with me a little bit and someone goes well no but it wasn't really cheating and you go okay so it wasn't really cheating uh and you don't trust this person can you tell me more about that? and people will they'll go down this um, road of further exploring their own thoughts and hearing their own words back to them without you having to step in and do anything crazy And it creates this very powerful thing because when it's done to you, to some degree, it's frustrating because you're not getting what you thought you wanted, which was advice. You're getting what's actually happening, and it forces you to think in your brain about an actual passage through that. And it doesn't always work, but I've always loved that that tactic in active listening of presenting options back Mm -hmm. that they've presented to you have you ever seen this fail that sounds like masterful coaching i'm I,
1: i'm immediately thinking of my friend luca Hosevar, who's is in the fitness industry and lucas mm-hmm. for me luca's one of the best around uh and i've listened to luca talk about how he coaches and i don't know why it's coming to mind now but one of the things he'll do is in that example uh maybe I ask the client you know what feels tangible for you this week in terms of how you're going to approach your nutrition they might say i'm going to drink two liters of water a day and i'm going to have overnight oats in the morning and luca would ask them on a scale of one to ten how how manageable does that seem i think he says <laughs> if it's less than eight you're going to kind of say mm-hmm, maybe let's yeah. reassess that um how often does it fail i'm not I, i'm not sure what the answer to that is um i guess as the as the person that's looking to support i think you really got to be patient and there's a there's a funny example shared sometimes of, of um you know falling into this martyr role of trying to save the world and it's like a lifeguard that pushes people in the pool just so they can jump in and save them and then have all this appreciation so it's like really yeah. catching ourselves It's like what's the part of me that's trying to trying to you know help this person is it is it a genuine wanting to help, or is it looking for praise and approval uh, as me having saved the day so but I think saying saying something out loud is a very courageous act, particularly when it's something someone hasn't shared before, and what can happen is there's a reason that person hasn't shared that with anyone else because they will have been shamed or they will have been rejected or ridiculed for sharing that, so maybe at home they tell their partner i'm going to get fit and they're made fun of. And then they come to a trainer and they say, I want to get fit. If the trainer goes straight into, here's what you need to do. It can almost be like, I've just shared this vulnerable thing to you that might not feel vulnerable and you've right. kind of shut it down. So I think the more spacious we can be, um, the more empowering for the person because hearing your own words back to you are, is is very
0: confronting. Yeah. I, I want to touch on something you mentioned about being like the fixer, which and maybe that's not exactly what you said it's bad bad coaching and active listening to me right <laughs> uh I, I don't i don't remember if it was i saw this therapist at one point in my life and he had referred me to some david data um work and i i'd never heard of him before and i, I did some it was like some time that i would spend by myself with headphones in and i would just kind of go through these different um they're almost like audio webinar uh type things that he had done and and read this book and I identified a lot with this desire to fix things when you're presented with the issue. So, so someone gets in a car accident and they call you and you go, what intersection are you at? I'll be right there. Right. It's not that, are you okay? What happened? Right. It's that foregoing of those initial concerns right to how can I make the situation better? How can I superhero this situation and come and do all the insurance stuff and make sure everyone's taken care of it and move along and it was this kind of pivotal moment in how I tried, and, and I struggle with this to this day, but how I tried to start to listen to people when they're communicating something that they're they're dealing with, whether it's a family member, a coworker, a friend, someone who you don't know at all, that just uh, something happened behind you while you're at coffee and you turn around. So maybe, I guess what, what I want to get into here is, why we have this predisposition to act that way to go turn around the coffee shop and go are you okay do we need to get something for your knee like that that instant kind of like how can i fix this situation to move beyond it what is our wiring that pushes us towards that and then what are some steps that we can take to really truly be better listeners and give people space to communicate whatever it is that they're talking about because i think you and i both know that in the end that's a much more constructive way for both people, one, for the relationship to build better because now you're listening and they're communicating and they feel comfortable, but also because the outcome is more powerful because a lot of times people arrive at these solutions all on their own. They just needed someone, a soundboard there. So mm. uh, to start, yeah, what what is our predisposition to want to jump to solutions? Mm. I think
1: particularly as men we learned that that's that's how you're of value is to be uh, a doer um mm-hmm. I, I often think about how you know this is generalizing but women growing up i think are much more uh, social and uh, more authentic in their communication they'll, they'll share their feelings with their friends they'll talk about you know what's going on mm-hmm. they'll have a little gossip they'll talk uh, this is again massive generalizations whereas boys i think from an early age we learn to be competitive Uh, we learn to get ahead, we learn to achieve, we learn to, I mean, David Data talks a lot about the masculine and the feminine. So the masculine being that part of me, I have the masculine and feminine within me and women have the masculine and feminine within them. Masculine is the kind of direct, let's get where we need to be. Let's get things done. Feminine, more the flowy energy. Um, So I think people that are in their masculine, that that's their primary driver it is very much about like let's get this done. Let's let's. It's the warrior that I talked about earlier. Um, I remember someone saying about, you know, oftentimes when a child brings back their report card from school, the parent will say, "How did you do?" As opposed to "How did it go?" or "How did you feel?" or you know, "How did you?" I thought that was kind of an interesting piece. Um, in terms of how do we do better? I think I think. How do we brew present? I think eye contact and I think slowing down are two like very tangible things that we can potentially do. Like y- yeah, I eye, eye contact and slowing down. Um taking a breath. Um <laughs> yeah. I'm a I'm a big David I don't know, I maybe a bit of a stretch to say I'm a big David Data fan, but I studied with one of his te- one of his uh, students called John Wineland. And John's huge on the breath and just the the importance of really breathing deeply so we can really feel what's going on.
0: Um yeah. The ma- masculine and feminine energy is a really interesting thing because I, I think, especially nowadays, the, the term masculine gets conflated with toxic masculinity, and that creates this division between men and women that, um, some cases doesn't exist. Whereas masculine and feminine energy is present with everyone, right? You can be a, a man and have feminine predispositions, right? And that can be a strength, actually. You can have, uh, exhibit more emotional capability than maybe somebody else. So it's understanding that these are, and I i mean, for me personally, I think this is a big part of just being a human is yin and yang. I always come back to balance in everything. I think it's important to exhibit qualities in both of you. You need to be able to rise to the occasion and be tough and durable and physical. But if that comes at the cost of being unable to communicate with the people that you love and be there and show compassion and empathy for people when it's needed, then that's a complete loss. And if you're entirely empathetic and sensitive, and you can never rise to the occasion to be physical and ready, then that's coming at a cost too. So learning how to juggle these two energy systems, <laughs> or these two energies can be really powerful because it, it makes a more whole human that's capable of interacting meaningfully with other people. And that's a process. It, it is not a, it, you know, you talked about these workshops and they're great because it gives people an opportunity to break through in an area where they haven't been able to for however many years, in some case 40 years for this guy. Mm. That's a long time to wear a backpack. Yeah. Right? Yeah. A long time. Mm. And if that person finds success in in the comfort of a group of other men, great, right? Mm. Well, you wouldn't want to withhold that from them. And if they find it... Uh, amongst a group of their closest female friends, incredible. I think that the the problem is that there's a like a what am I trying to say? What's the <laughs> I'm having a complete moment here. But what would you call it if there's a like a dark cloud over something? Um, I don't I don't know the word for it, but the like a connotation that with with men's work is this crazy thing that's so stupid and it's it's for these guys that just have uh you know ego problems and they can't figure it out and they don't know how to interact with the world. that's not the case at all. Maybe you can expand a little bit on like what this work even is and and why it why it might not meet the perception that people would have of it from the outside
1: mm. um a couple of things i I guess um with social media again um what we see on social media related to men's work is very dramatic and very big and it's uh, an effort to capture people's attention so you see these big cathartic releases guys screaming and shouting and it's very big because that's just the nature of social media so maybe that gives a false representation um it's interesting because i sometimes travel to the states or around europe to different workshops to attend and who i'm within the room at those workshops is very different to my audience at home. Um, mm-hmm. What I've noticed in at home, I came to this work by accident. I was doing personal development workshops for years, mostly females coming along that had come from my fitness days. And gradually more and more men started showing up um, mm. to the point that it was 50-50. And I said, I'm going to do some men-specific work. And the suicide rates in Ireland have been epidemic for, for a long time with, w- with men in particular. Um, the men that I see coming are young guys that really struggle with their mental health and feel completely lost then there's Mm. relatively young guys who are just on the path and just kind of interested and like looking for marginal gains and, and improve and then there's kind of older guys 50s and 60s that have achieved the financial success or gotten to a certain point or raised their families and are now kind of questioning well what else is there to this um but well, what I hope it provides for people, and what I think it can provide, my experience of going to workshops has been a chance to step into a different environment and try on a different part of yourself, to try a different way of being, um, and that could be lots of different things. You know, it could be uh, not that this is something I do, but at my workshops, but it could be to do a dance, do, do a dance class for an hour, mm-hmm. and that's you expressing your feminine in a, in a quite uh, big way. But right. The way I think about it is. If we practice in the extremes, so like if I go to jujitsu three times a week, this is me kind of being in my warrior. Like, okay, I'm learning here how to do. I'm not going to be running around the streets throwing people around the place. Hopefully, but there's right. going to be a, there's going to be a different energy within me that's able to access that if I needed to, and I can just be a bit more assertive in my day to day life. Similarly, if I go to a dance class or a breathwork class or a yoga class or something that has me more maybe in my feminine. It's not that I'm going to be, be turn into this mushy, flowy you know man that's not able right. to hold his boundaries, but I know what it feels like to be a bit more in the extreme of that, so now I can access maybe a bit more of myself. so I think the practices that we do, whatever we do, um, can help us to feel what it is to really be in that and then bring a percentage of that home with us if that makes sense
0: absolutely i I really love that, and I think that the the part about the physicality of something like, for example, jujitsu, but it could be any, you know, it could be wrestling, it could be boxing, it could be striking. Um, it does wonders for who you are outside of the mats. It really does. I And I think that that is, there's always outliers, right? There's someone who's, they're a, an asshole in life and then they're an asshole on the mats and somehow there's no effect. And so they just take that energy out of the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the large majority of people, I think you do see it affects how you are because, it's such an exertion of this very specific type of energy and mindset, right? Even if you're an even keel chill person, when someone's trying to choke you, it's going to change how you act. Mm -hmm. And when you get that out of you, it brings a sense of calmness. I think in day to day life, I I can only speak for myself, but nothing has made me less desired to get in an altercation than training frequently because you start to see the range of how bad things can go. You're exposed to different skill levels and you start to better understand uncertainty and fighting is extremely uncertain. That's why some of the best people in the world occasionally get knocked out by the second best person in the world, Mm -hmm. because things can go wrong. And when you know that I don't want anything to do with it, right? If in a fight or flight situation, I want to be able to rely on it, but it's not something that I go looking for. And I know that before finding martial arts that part was a lot more on the surface yeah i um earlier
1: on in the call you were asking about kind of the the different elements of uh, working with people and i was saying there's the mental aspect of like looking at the mind and how we speak to ourselves and stuff like that and i said there was the emotional aspect which is like how we relate to our emotions and um maybe just to share because i i think this (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's a great uh, poet called Robert Bly and he talked about it from the time he was a, a teenager. He kind of cut off between his neck and his balls. He he could, wasn't able to access anything there. So it could be in his head or it could be down, downstairs. But all the emotions that lived in his belly, he's just like cut off completely. I think that's true for a lot of us. We go to our heads and we try to fix things as we've talked about. We try to fix people. We try to. Um, but from a physical standpoint, you, you mentioned their fight or flight response. Anytime I experience stress, irrespective of what the stress is, my body responds in the same way. So if I'm in a stressful work environment, right. and my, my body is in a constant state of stress, I, oftentimes people think that's in their head and they're trying to fix it in their head. But there's a chemical cocktail happening within your body and there's energy running around your body that wants to be expressed. And jujitsu or dance or any of these things are a chance to express that energy. Um, you know, animals in the wild, what you'll see is when they have a fight or flight, uh, response once they get to safety they usually fall onto their side and they tremor and what they're doing <laughs> is dislodging the excess of yeah. stress it's it's like uh, if you ever see a dog get a yeah. if you see, see a dog get hit by a car but not injured it'll walk away and it'll kind of shake off the, the 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 excess yeah but maybe my boss shouts at me i feel anger this surge of energy in my body but i just sit there and i take it because i'm domesticated yeah. and all of this sits in my body for a long period of time and
0: then i get you know anxious when um when you're doing these workshops how do you talk about monetary success and how do you help people see that you can find happiness outside of that it's cliche to say that money doesn't equal happiness i think we're all very aware of that now but to put that into action is one very different and two it's a constant trap that exists in our vision right because uh, social media, movies, media in general. Like, unless you're living in the woods, you are going to be constantly shown uh, success across different levels, and that could be someone's a New York Times bestseller. They sold their company for this amount of money. They work a conventional job, but they got a promotion. You're just you're inundated with this climbing up the ladder, so to speak, in many different regards, entrepreneurial or corporate. How do you help people, especially these these men that have achieved that in their life? yet for some reason uh not exhibit the degree of happiness to which they thought they would how do you walk them through that Hmm. part of it is my own story of kind of saying
1: look i I spent my i I was very lucky in a sense that like i got into the fitness industry in my early 20s and and facebook came along and i was one of the first guys in ireland doing fitness on facebook so i quarter of a million followers when i was 24 and i was doing national tv and radio and i I went from failing with a business to buying a house in the space of a year and bringing out books and a lot happened in my life in a short space of time and that i suppose gave me the understanding that i was miserable before all that and then i didn't feel much better uh, (laughs) after achieving everything so um i I share i share my own story you know i share my own story and i say look this was my experience i achieved so much of what i thought would make me happy and was left feeling a little bit unfulfilled Uh, are very unfulfilled. Um, So I think it's important that, you know, um, I'm sharing personal experience. Um, The other bits I suppose I sometimes use that I think lands with people is the idea that oftentimes we put these goals almost at the summit of a mountain. We say, I want to get to the summit as quick as possible. And when I get there, I'll be happy. Um, but my experience of climbing actual mountains is the summit is a tiny percentage of the actual journey. Right. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like saying I'll be miserable for the next two months, but I'll be on Everest two months from now, and that will be great. The other way of climbing a mountain is to say I might go a little bit slower. I'm going to stop and take some breaks. I'm going to take some photos. Going to socialize with the people I'm climbing with. I don't need to get there as fast as I thought I did because the summit's just a part of it, and it's all a journey. And every step in front of the other is getting me a little bit closer to where I want to be. Um, so I try to encourage people to have that kind of approach to it that it's great to have a goal. Like like myself and yourself probably both want to be black belts in the future. Yeah. That's a goal. That would be cool. but, if we're, <laughs> but we're if we're if we're obsessed by the black belts, you often see that like white belts that come in and they're they're thinking about the black belt from the first yeah. day they start and then they kind of fall off a bit quick, you know. So you gotta you gotta keep the vision in mind but enjoy the journey. There's um there's different ways people operate. Some people live in the future saying I'll be happy when Mm -hmm. other people live with no picture of the future and so they're just kind of going with the flow and so i think a nice balance is to say i have a sense of where i'm going and i'm doing my best to enjoy the day-to-day so i give people practical exercises to support that so maybe it's every evening writing down three wins you had in the day and three things you're grateful for like really simple but it's to pull the magic out of the day rather than living your life in the future
0: yeah, let's, uh, let's get meta here for a second, because this is something I, I think about all the time, which is this acceptance of the idea that to live a present life or an observed observed life is probably the most optimal and to live a life constantly thinking about the future or mulling over the past is one to almost undoubtedly create suffering to some degree that you're just going to deal with. So I can accept that. I truly can. And, uh, exhibiting that is a different story. And one, one thing that I've tried to do is to unpack what almost like the value system things, but what are signs that I am living a present life? Cause it's easy to get to the end of the day, get in bed and go, Whoa, like whether the day was good or bad, the day's over. Right. And, and just like one day, you will take your last breath and that too will be a life lived and it'll just that will be the moment you're dealing with it's going to happen for all of us but to think about that is overwhelming uh, to not respect that is ignorant to some degree so when you really like hone in on this idea of living a present life or or being present or living an observed life what are some of the things that you look for mm. Um, for for me one thing
1: first i thought about this in relationship and now i think about it in the bigger context is um we can often play out cycles in relationships so mm-hmm. you you mentioned the idea of someone being stuck in a toxic relationship as an example and the same thing keeps coming up time and time again um the reality of relationship is there's going to be challenges and there's going to be stresses so i remember telling myself years ago that I'm willing to be in the fire in relationship and be in the stresses and the struggle, as long as the stresses and the struggles are different every couple of months, because that shows that we're evolving and we're growing and we're not just cycling and revolving. So I think part of it, like this presence piece for me is around, am I evolving or revolving? Because if I'm revolving, I'm just playing out the same patterns from the past unconsciously. I'm asleep. Whereas if I'm evolving, I'm using my you know i'm aware of my conditioning so again i step into the room there's a part of me that feels like it doesn't fit in but i can stop and i can say be in the present that's the old part of me that's the five-year-old part of me um so that would be part of it i think recognizing that you know i'm a different man now to who I was six months ago uh in yeah. terms of how i see myself um, and then in a bigger context this was in terms of how I, I see life which might be a little bit out there for people is I believe that we all come in and before we come here from wherever we come we sign a contract and we say right this is my mission in this life um i some people's mission is to learn forgiveness other people's mission is to learn deep intimacy other people's mission is to change the world and i think we have these contracts and i think then we uh, that's my goal at least in life is to fulfill upon these contracts and i think life gives you experiences and people all the time that are there to help you evolve and to grow and if you're present to those situations you can grow through them and you can move closer and you mentioned david data earlier he talks about kind of peeling back layers of an onion that mm-hmm. I- you'll have your purpose uh, people think purpose sometimes is like this thing that's going to fall out of the sky and we're going to just land on our purpose all of a sudden and he says no your purpose is like lean into what feels bright at this moment in your life do it until it doesn't feel right anymore and then the next thing will appear and sometimes there'll be a bit of a gap where you're not sure what you're doing um but again i think that speaks to presence of i'm not going to keep doing something just because it's what i've done up to this point i'm going to listen to what feels challenging and edgy and fulfilling and meaningful to me i guess meaning is a big part right of
0: a well-lived life and a present striving for it at least. Now that we're out there, uh, let's stay out here for a second. And uh, this, so this idea, you painted the picture of like coming into from this other place. And I think about this a lot. And to some degree, it gives me a lot of anxiety. It's probably the source of anxiety in my life. And it's uh, not something that I'd give a ton of energy to because of that. But it's definitely an area that I'm aware of. Mm. Thinking about that space before you are. What comes to mind for you?
1: Thinking about that space in in what regard, sorry. Uh,
0: So uh, like pre-existence. Oh God. (laughs) Yeah, I told you, hey, you took us. So (laughs) here we are.
1: (laughs) What what gives me comfort is to think that I'm just going to come back and do it all again in a different form. And so it takes the pressure of having to have it all figured out or having to get it all right or having to live a perfect life like a lot of the religious texts kind of were set up on this idea of you need to be perfect and you need to get it right. And that puts a lot of pressure and anxiety on people. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I have the belief, which I do have the belief is I'm going to come back in a different form. I can do my thing at the moment and and I can, I can live a life that's true for me. Again, the internet has opened my eyes up to a million different things I could do. and part of the challenge is to focus in on a few things that feel important and meaningful to me. And I'll get to hopefully experience it in a different way uh, again in the future. One of my teachers, Caroline Mace, who's an amazing lady, talks about... It's kind of a weird example, but she's, she was saying she's in her 60s or 70s, I'd say. And she does a lot around this soul contracts idea. And she said she's very aware of the fact that in this lifetime, she's not supposed to be a mother. She said it's not part of her 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 path for this. Mm-hmm. She's a teacher, she said. That's her primary thing. But she was talking about how many women she meets that because society has said, you know, all your friends are getting married, all your friends are having kids, they put this huge pressure on themselves and they haven't made peace with so maybe in this lifetime. Now, I know that's, that's going to be a challenging people thing for, for, for people to hear in, in some regard, but for me, at least it gives me peace to think that maybe I'll be a father in this life, maybe I won't, maybe I'll be a really successful businessman in that, maybe I won't. Um, but if I follow my truth and I listen to that deeper part that we talked about earlier, I think I'm going to have a meaningful and authentic life and that, that's the most important thing.
0: How how do you bolster those beliefs? How do you know that those those sentiments are not another example of masking over something that's otherwise uh, challenging to think about? Hmm. Maybe they are. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> that's um, the honest. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that because I think that's that's honest. Yeah, th- 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 I I get a lot of
1: comfort from from those. Um. Yeah, that for me, that's a lot of it is taking the pressure off because yeah. t- we talked a lot, a lot about conditioning and like our, our childhood conditioning here. But obviously the other part of the conditioning is the societal conditioning of, oh, am I where I'm supposed to be by a certain age? Am I keeping yeah. up with the Joneses? Am I all this kind of stuff? And for me, that feels very ego-based. It's like mm-hmm. trying to keep up, whereas go this kind of idea of listening a little bit deeper for me feels a bit more... Mm, for me it's like i've recognized that i'm a unique expression you're a unique expression it doesn't make sense to just go and do what everyone else is doing because everyone else is doing it and right so i think of, i think of that as soul
0: it's hard i i struggle with like sometimes i feel like we're we're given by design we have this ability to to think to really think about things right to sit down and and i uh, to this end i feel like our stimulation pulls us pretty far away from this, right? Whether it's online in apps, uh, going to see events, whatever it is, there's a lot of opportunities to pull yourself away from silence, to pull yourself away from sitting with yourself and thinking about life and thinking about the condition that we have. But the fact that we can think about it is the push I feel every once in a while to let it run and see you know, what kind of draws at me. And I I always struggle with uh, things around existence or beliefs because there's something special about them in that there's not a proof, right? Like Mm -hmm. a belief system, not all belief systems have a proof that you can reference. It's an internal thought. It's, a, it's something that you, Pat, can go through based on your life experience and you can decide about where things align with your values and how you see the world. And we all get to do that. I think that's super special. And it's scary when you start to dig into some of those if they do or don't fall apart. And I, I kind of admire when, when I see people that do have hard set beliefs or, or this idea of like the contracts. That's something you've thought about a while you know and it it means something to you and it's also something that you can hang your like your person on and you can act from that and uh, i'm always curious when i hear people's different versions of what those are because it's it seems powerful to me but it's something that i always struggle with on a personal level
1: Hmm. i think that contracts piece has given me comfort because it's a sense of i don't have to change the people in my life or the experiences of my life, I need to change how I approach them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the difficulty of going through a breakup, for example, uh, if I bring it back to my contracts idea, I can say, well, maybe myself and this person's contract in this lifetime was to learn how to end a relationship cleanly and on good terms. Or maybe it was yeah. to learn how to walk away when your boundaries have been overstepped. or. Um, Lots of different things like that, you know. Anything that comes up, it's kind of like I wonder what life is trying to teach me. My ego has got a million ideas of how this should look, but it doesn't look that way. So, what is life giving me? And what I did this weird, me- weird meditation last week. I was in France doing a, a body work training, and I was sat out in the grass, and there was a bunch of people around, and I started just tuning into like like I'm in this field and there's a hundred people here and there's a bunch of trees and there's like so much going on out there that is not me. So like I'm a very, very small part of life, you know, and and sometimes we make impersonal things personal. You know, we make the idea of a breakup. This really... Thing, oh it's broke my ego it's it's messed me up or i get rejected from a job and i i, I think i'm the center of the universe and it's for me yeah. it's nice to just be like well, I'm,
0: I'm a tiny part right. of this <laughs> you know yeah. like, all, all we are is dust in the wind kind of view yeah yeah it's uh have, have you ever done a, a vipassana retreat
1: no. And you know what? I promised myself years ago, I said, before I do plant medicine, I'm going to do Vipassana. And I, I ended up doing plant medicine before, <laughs> but I've, I've not done
0: Vipassana. Have you, have you done I, Vipassana? I, I, I have not. I've, it's just been, it's been so on the tip of my mind lately. And it, it's been something that I've, you know, read a lot about. I've had, I feel pulls at different parts of my life, but it, but like uh, wavelengths, you know, I have felt peaks uh, towards it. And right now I'm definitely in one of those moments where I feel a strong draw to go do it. And... Mm-hmm. I I, I kind of logged this question because you had mentioned silence earlier, the the importance of of silence and kind of our general unwillingness to sit in it. And I I've always just thought that that's fascinating. Like the to go and sit for that long, uh, mm. what would what would happen? You know, I mean, it's, I've been alive thirty four years. I've never done that. It's kind of crazy. You think about the, there's few experiences in life that are like so contradictory to every experience that you've ever had. Mm. That's why I think that 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 seems so interesting to go do such an out of the comfort zone, out of the kind of your day to day experience that gives you this whole total unknown on how you would respond.
1: There's a spiritual teacher called Gangaji and, Mm -hmm. uh, She's an interesting one about silence. She says, like, all you're ever going to meet in the silence is more of yourself. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting.
0: Uh, it's kind of wild. Yeah, I think that there's probably a lot to that, right? And what do we do? We, we wake up and instantly flood ourselves with stimulation or noise or... It, it, Anything. I mean, whether it's, you know, getting up out of bed and immediately you're dealing with your kids, you gotta feed your pets, you gotta you instantly gotta get going into the world. You gotta be there until you go to bed. And then that's the one moment where things are perceived as silent, but it's not really a conscious silence, it's a subconscious silence. And that too is also filled with tons going on, right? Dreams and emotions and experiences and stuff. I I would challenge you or push you to do that as, as I will myself. I think that it, it's something that probably if it's been staved off for so long, whether intentionally or not, it must be a profound mm. experience in that regard.
1: Funny. Do you, are you familiar with the author Jack Canfield? Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: The chicken soup uh, yeah, juggernaut. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to this event
1: years ago when Jack was speaking and we paid for a VIP ticket or something. So we go for dinner after, yeah. but there's like, I don't know, 100 people at dinner, so I was kind of over it by the end of the day. Everyone's trying to, like, get to Jack and all this, Yeah, I I was like, ah, I'm just like, okay, I paid for dinner, I'm going to go for dinner. So I sat in the corner on my own, and Jack came over and sat on the table with us, which was kind of cool, and and, uh, so... I said, Oh, Jack, I heard you had done Vipassana retreat and we spoke a little bit about it. And I was drinking Pints of Guinness at the time. I was I don't know, like 27. Yeah. And I, I kept drinking more Pints of Guinness and I kept talking about Vipassana. And eventually he looked at me and he says, You just need to go and do it. He says, You talk enough
0: <laughs> about it. So I Well, maybe Jack. that's <laughs> the, maybe this conversation and touching back on that is the universal push to uh, get involved. Well, maybe Pat, you're it's, my sole uh, contract, bro. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sign on the dotted line. It's been a it's been a pleasure having you on, man. I, I feel like, as is common with this show, we really only touch the tip of the iceberg on a lot of this kind of stuff, and I'd love to keep the door open to do it again in the future and maybe hone in on, from listener feedback, that some of the areas that maybe we left a little bit untouched. But it's been a pleasure to sit down with you. I always enjoy when people are willing to go deeper on conversational topics and and explore. So thank you. I appreciate you, bro. Thank you so much.